I'd like to give a a very warm welcome to everyone to our service this evening, those that are here, uh, those that are are looking on as well through the the video link, through the live stream, and uh, especially a big welcome to Nick and to Sarah with us this evening. Uh, Many of us know Nick, he has preached here uh, many times over the years, we've been grateful for those visits, and others of us know him through uh, the Sussex Gospel Partnership work that he's been so involved with, and there will be a, uh, he has got a changing role in coming months and I'm going to ask him a little bit about that uh, a little way into the service so that we can know what uh, is uh, God willing in store for him and we can support him and take interest and be prayerful over that. So we'll come to that in a bit. A couple of things just to mention, there is refreshments after the service tonight so you're very welcome to stay on for that. And the second thing to say is with the young people away, there is an extra prayer meeting this week. There's our normal Thursday one and I'm sure we will be praying for the young people's uh, holiday then. But we've got an extra one and that's on Wednesday at 7.30 at Paul and Sue's house. So you're you're very welcome to go there to support... um, the the holiday in prayer. We'd encourage you to do that if you can. There will be one also for the camp week. We'll tell you more about that uh, as we get closer, but there'll be one extra one for the camp week in a couple of weeks' time. Well, I'm going to read a verse that's going to lead us into our first song, and then after our first song, Steve Potts is going to come up for our main reading. But let me read a verse from... Revelation, then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Alleluia, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. And in our first song, we unite with the voices of heaven in that theme of the Lord God omnipotent reigning. So we're going to sing together, The Lord is King, lift up your voice, O earth and all you heavens rejoice. So we stand to sing our first song.
Our scripture reading this evening is uh, taken from the Gospel of Luke in chapter 7, verses 18 to 35. That's on page 863 in the Church Bibles. We'll be hearing later from Nick under the title Three Barriers to Faith. And here the passage is headed up messengers from John the Baptist. So Luke chapter 7, commencing verse 18. The disciples of John reported all these things to him. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. When John's messages had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, Those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptised with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptised by him. To what then shall I compare the people of this generation, and what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute to you, we played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all of her children. Amen. Thank you, Steve. Well, we're going to sing our next song, and then after the song, um, I'm going to ask Nick one or two questions about his changing role. Uh, But in this song we focus on the character of the Lord Jesus Christ 
and we're led in a spirit of worship. Let me read the first verse and the chorus. Meekness and majesty, manhood and deity, in perfect harmony, the man who is God. Lord of eternity, dwells in humanity, kneels in humility and washes our feet. Oh, what a mystery. Meekness and majesty, bow down and worship, for this is your God. This is your God. Let's sing in a spirit of worship our second song. Good. 
So, I just wanted to ask Nick one or two questions about the changing uh, situation. We've been very thankful, Nick. I've been very thankful for um, your involvement in the Sussex Gospel Partnership these 15? About 14 years. 14 years. And the the role is then changing. But before I ask you about that, any highlights for you as you think of the years so far at Sussex Gospel Partnership? Um, Well, it's it's just been a sort of great joy and a great privilege to to be involved in that ministry and to um, be meeting literally hundreds of Christians from across East and West Sussex and um, leading the training ministry, so training many of them in how to understand and, and teach the Word of God and uh, just to sort of year after year um, new sort of groups of people and, and to teach God's word and then to hear the sort of the, just the stories coming back of people meeting people and, and them saying that, that they're doing this bit of ministry or they've been given a talk here and, and that they would sort of never have had the competence to do that if they hadn't been doing one of the training courses um, so just the sort of the way that that really seems to have helped people and encouraged people and equipped people for Bible ministry it's been a great encouragement um, and then I think just um, I think the other thing that stands out to me is just the, in the sense of being in a privileged position of of seeing what the Lord is doing uh, through His people, you know, across our region in towns and villages, and actually just there's always far more happening. The Lord is always doing far more than we sort of uh, realise or imagine, and just to, to to see something of that has, has been a real privilege. Well, it's been a blessing to many of us, I know, so we've been thankful for that. But uh, you have a changing role, uh, some months of transition. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, so I have been um, appointed as as what will be the full-time ministry director for an organisation called A Passion for Life. Um, And uh, so I will be in transition sort of from my old job to my new job through the autumn, so I'll be part-time from September with the Gospel Partnership, part-time with A Passion for Life, and then from January, just full-time with A Passion for Life. And A Passion for Life, what will that new role involve? Uh, yeah, so um, it, it's uh, sort of not easy to summarise because it's, it's about one of those jobs where I've got to sort of work out what the job is and, and shape it. It's not like doing a job that somebody else has been doing before and, uh, and stepping into a defined role, but it's... It, be sort of very much shaping it. Um, but A Passion for Life is, was a sort of a mission initiative, an evangelism initiative of the regional gospel partnerships across the country. And there was a national mission, first of all in, in 2010, encouraging churches up and down the land to come together uh, to, to, to sort of make a special effort to reach our communities with the gospel under, under a sort of a common banner. Then again, another ma- national mission in 2014, and then it sort of all fell into some, in a, into sort of, um, abeyance for some years um, and then together with a, some other people I was part of a group that revived sort of the whole vision for Passion for Life in 2020 with a view to doing a mission, a national mission or promoting a national mission in 2022 which was the Life 22 mission um, and uh, you may have been aware of a whole suite of sort of personal evangelism training resources that were produced for that by Passion for Life um, and this is, the, my appointment is about sort of trying to now move a passion for life into a sort of an established state um, and just continue and develop the work of supporting churches and encouraging churches in their evangelism. Uh, and um, we, in the sort of latest reviving of a passion for life, the, the whole ethos was summed up with the strap line, uh, a, a lifetime of evangelism, a month of mission. 
uh, with the sort of the, the national mission in 2022. Um, and, and that will be very much the ongoing ethos of it. So we'll be working towards another national mission in 2026 and wanting to prepare the ground for that and prepare resources that will help churches with that sort of special effort in 2026. But in many ways, it's the lifetime of evangelism which is the most important thing. And the other part of the role is we'll be just trying to help churches in being a little bit more effective evangelistically and helping just helping church leaders think that through. It's not that I have all the answers. I'm, uh, it's not that I have, have expertise to, to, to offer all the wisdom, but, but I trust I can um, uh, learn from those who, who are doing particularly well in this area and just perhaps help transfer some of that across churches and help church leaders think through how to put those things into practice in their own context, which will help them to be a little bit more effective evangelistically as churches. Um, because the need is, is so great. I mean, it, it, it's, it's the need of the mission field. It's the, it's the thousands of people around us who need to hear the gospel that, that drives this. And we long, don't we, to be as effective as possible as a church is at reaching people with the gospel. Um, and we want to, if we can sort of learn from each other and, and spur each other on in that, and the passion for life can play some small part in that, then that would be, be marvellous. Mm. So, uh, okay. exciting development and, and good to be involved in and aware of and to, to pray for. Any particular prayer points that you want to leave with us? From, um, from well, the... quite frankly, the whole thing is very exciting and incredibly daunting. Um, so, it, um, this, um, I think I would say sort of pray for faith and wisdom. Um, so it will drive me to my knees and my own dependence upon the Lord. Um, pray that I would trust in him for his enabling and, and pray that he'd, he'd, he'd give me the, the wisdom um, and uh, the, the, the sort of the help of others that I need um, to fulfil the role um, to be able to serve the churches in this way. And it's a, it's a, a humbling um, position to be in as well. So um, pray that I would exercise the role with, with, with the right humility as well. Hmm. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, well, thank we're you. going to pray now and we will include a prayer for your situation and the future development of that work as well as other things. So shall we join together in prayer? Let's pray. O oh Lord, we come to you, the one who was, who is and is to come, the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. Come to the Lord Jesus Christ who was dead and who is alive again. And as John felt that tremendous sense of awe as he thought of the greatness and majesty of the risen, ascended Lord Jesus, so we do pray that in our own hearts we might come with a spirit of worship and wonder and praise. We come, Lord, to you praising you for creation, for by all things all things were by you created and for your pleasure. We join those in heaven praying, praising you for redemption, for the Lamb who was worthy and who was slain and who has unlocked uh, the seals and who has made plain the history of humanity and has uh, ransomed us so that we might be back with our Father. And we praise you as well as they do in Revelation, that you are a God of justice and that all justice will be carried out and that your name will be honoured. We pray for a spirit of worship for all these things.
that we give praise that the Lord Jesus Christ declared that he came in his first coming, not primarily to judge but to save. And we thank you for that message of salvation which goes forward and outward, which many of us have experienced so that we can say we are saved through your grace and what Christ has done. And we do pray for that saving work to be continued and for us to see that happening. We think of things very close to us, like the young people's holiday. We pray, Lord, for your blessing upon that, for Christians to be built up, but also for others to be drawn in the kingdom. We pray for our county. We're thankful for the gospel witness which has gone out, which does go out in East and West Sussex through many churches. And we do pray that there may be a, a gathering in of your people, that you, it may be plain that you have many people in this county, that many may be added to the church to give power to your word as it is preached in this county. And we pray for our nation. Lord, there is so much that is discouraging about our national situation in different ways. And so we pray for your saving work, that in wrath you might remember mercy, that you might revive your work. And we pray for this uh, initiative of the Passion for Life. We give thanks for the uh, support that it has given already, for the opportunities that it's opened up. And as there's this extra attention given to it going forward, Lord, we pray that you might choose in your grace to use that for good, for the encouragement of the spread of your word amongst the churches and to many people. And as Nick begins that responsibility after the summer, and as he uh, seeks to develop that role and uh, encourage a way forward and a vision and, uh, and plans which are a help to the nation in going forward in its evangelism, we pray that you might give him great wisdom. Hear his prayers, help him to depend on you and hear those prayers that he prays and others pray for him and for that wider work and uh, an initiative that it may be a support to the churches. Lord, do bless it and Crown your gospel with success in this land. May there be a turning of the tide. May there be an advancement. May there be many who are spiritually concerned for their relationship with God, their need for forgiveness, their eternal situation. Lord, do have mercy on us, we pray. Do help him in that period of adjustment as he moves from one ministry to another. And we pray that he might be able to establish connections and priorities and patterns of work which are, which are good for the way forward. Lord, we pray as well for the gospel beyond our own nation. And particularly we pray in support of the work in northern Cyprus. We commit to you, James and Rachel. Help them with so much to do in the last week or so before they come back to the UK for a while. We pray that you would give them good speed in the things that they're sorting out. We thank you for the encouragements that they have had. We thank you for the particular encouragements there is amongst uh, some of the men and their openness about their faith. We pray, Lord, for the work to gather, to continue in its momentum and to gather pace 
in the lives of believers and outward into others, both those who are English-speaking and those who are Turkish-speaking. Lord, we thank you for those involved with the work of the Gospel here in so many different ways. And as we've heard this morning of our, uh, our way forward in the Sunday School work now called the Thrive Ministry, we pray for your blessing on that and rooted And we know that for things to thrive there needs to be uh, refreshed workers and leaders as well. And as these ministries have their summer break, we pray that you would help the leaders and the teachers to be refreshed and revived so that they might be able to hit the ground running in September with good heart and a sense of your strength and your joy. Lord, as we come to you this evening... We're grateful to have your word open. We love your word. It's fresh. It's so wise. It's so needed. It's so authoritative. It points us to Christ. We love your word. We thank you that it has a significant place in the life of the church here and has done across the decades. We pray you would help us to come humbly as we hear from it this evening and that you would make it useful according to our different needs. Lord, we pray that you would incline our hearts to your testimonies. We pray that you would open our eyes that we may see wonderful things in your law. We pray that you might unite our heart to fear your name. So bless us in our time together, we pray in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So we're going to have a message from Luke chapter 7 after our next hymn. Nick's going to preach to us. And in our third song, we're going to glory in our Redeemer. I will glory in my Redeemer, whose priceless blood has ransomed me. Mine was the sin that drove the bitter nails and hung him on that judgment tree. I will glory in my Redeemer.
seated and uh, do turn back to Luke chapter 7 as we uh, look at the passage that was read uh, for us. It's on uh, page 863 if you have one of the church Bibles. Let's pray briefly as we come to God's word. Father, your word says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so we pray that it would be, indeed be the word of God that we hear this evening and we pray that word would generate faith in us, perhaps igniting faith for the first time or uh, fanning into flame once again faith that is there and encouraging and sustaining faith. And we ask in Jesus' name, Amen. Luke's Gospel is Luke's carefully researched account of the most remarkable and significant three years in all of human history. Those three years when God incarnate walked the earth and the Lord Jesus performed the most astonishing miracles and gave the most remarkable uh, teaching those three years that climax in his death on a Roman cross as he died the sacrifice to sin and then on the third day rose again triumphant over death. Luke's Gospel is all about Jesus and it's given to us that we might know the certainty of the things that we have been taught. And as we reach chapter 7 we come to a chapter that is all about faith in Jesus. It begins with a Roman centurion who shows remarkable faith in Jesus. He he says to Jesus, I'm not worthy to have you come into my... He has a a servant who's very sick. He says, I'm not worthy to have you come into my house, my home, but just speak the word, just say the word and my servant will be healed. And Jesus says of this man, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And then the chapter ends with Jesus saying to a sinful woman or a woman who'd lived a sinful life, your faith has saved you, go in peace. So it's a chapter all about faith. It's also a chapter all about grace. The gift of salvation as as a gift that we don't earn, that we don't deserve. So in the second story of the chapter, Jesus breaks up a funeral by raising the dead man to life and he gives back to a widowed mother her son who had died. And it's sheer undeserved grace. And Luke's careful to use that word that Jesus gives the son back to the mother. And the same is is true with the, the, the woman at the end of the chapter, the forgiveness that she has received, is a matter of grace. So at this point in his Gospel, Luke wants to convince us that salvation, that is forgiveness of sins and new life, is a gift of God's grace which must be received through faith in Jesus. Grace alone and faith alone. We don't earn it. We don't work for it. We don't receive it as a reward for our good works. We receive it simply as a matter of grace through faith in Jesus. 
But Luke is a realist. Luke knows that faith does not come easily. There are many stumbling blocks on the way to faith in Jesus, and maintaining our faith in Jesus is not easy. Even after you have been a Christian for a great many years, disillusionment and doubt can creep in. And there are other stumbling blocks as well. So in between these stories about faith and grace, Luke tells us about a man who had his doubts about Jesus. And the shocking thing is the man who had these doubts is John the Baptist. And if you know the scriptures, then then you'll know that in biblical terms, John the Baptist is a towering figure. He is a fearless prophet. He is a hero of the faith. He's the man sent by God to prepare the people of God for the coming of the Messiah of God. And yet he had his doubts about Jesus. Uh, And so Luke uses John's doubts and the teaching that Jesus gives in response to those doubts to address three problems, three barriers to faith, three barriers to accepting Jesus for who he really is. And barrier number one is the problem of being disappointed by Jesus. Looking at verses 18 to 23. And this was John's problem. Disappointment with Jesus. To this point in the Gospel narrative, John is in prison. He's a prisoner of wicked King Herod. And visiting him in prison, John's disciples, his followers, kept him informed of all the things that Jesus was doing... And they were remarkable things. But still, Jesus was not living up to John's expectations. And so he sent his disciples to ask, did you see the question in verse 9? It's repeated in verse 20. Are you the one who is to come? Or shall we look for another? So what was John's problem? I think it's worth thinking about his preaching. You see, before his arrest, John had proclaimed that God's judgment was close at hand. He he said that the axe is already at the root of the trees. He had warned that the one who was coming after him, the one who was greater than him, the one who was more powerful than him, would divide the wheat from the chaff. He would judge the wicked. He would would cleanse Israel of evildoers and he would establish God's kingdom of righteousness and of justice and of peace. And yes, Jesus had come and Jesus had begun a most remarkable ministry of preaching and working miracles, but meanwhile, where was John? John was rotting in the dungeon where he had been imprisoned on the orders of a wicked king. You know, it was all very well Jesus going around heeding centurion servants and raising widows' sons, but what about the big issues? When was Jesus going to deal with evil rulers like Herod? When was he going to deal with Roman tyranny and establish true and just government in Israel? 
And how could Jesus be the one that God had promised if he failed to do these things? Remember how Jesus had stood up in, in, in the synagogue in Nazareth and opened the scriptures and read from Isaiah and proclaimed that he was the one who fulfilled the very things written there, including the fact that he had come to proclaim freedom for captives. But those words must have sounded rather hollow in John's ears. Prisoner that he was. And so he has his doubts and he sends his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the one who was to come? Or should we be looking for someone else? And of course John is not the only one to have felt that way. And sometimes perhaps the issue is a sort of global issue. If, if Jesus really does have all authority in heaven and on earth, then why on earth are things as they are? Why doesn't he deal with the great political and social evils of our day? Well, sometimes the issue is much more personal, as it was perhaps for John. Jesus, if you really are the one you claimed to be, then how come this terrible thing happened in my life? Perhaps, how come my child died, or how come my husband or wife died leaving me with small children, or, or how come I've received this terrible diagnosis as I was, I was hearing about someone this morning? Why didn't you answer my anguished prayers? I'm, I'm so hurt, I'm so disillusioned, Lord. Why didn't you act? What kind of saviour are you? And disappointment with Jesus triggers our own dark night of doubt. So how does Jesus respond to John? We'll see verse 21. In that hour, see, at that very moment, at that very time, as, as I take it, as the messengers from John are standing there, it says he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind he bestowed sight. So first Jesus gave these messages from John a live demonstration of the sort of thing that he's been doing throughout his ministry uh, and then he gives them his reply to John's question. Verse 22, he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have good news preached to them. See, God had promised to send the Messiah and and over the the centuries the the prophets have spoken of the coming of the Messiah uh, uh, and spoken of the sort of things that would take place when the Messiah came. Uh, And here is Jesus lovingly providing John. He doesn't rebuke John. He doesn't send some sort of angry message back to John. No, no, here is Jesus lovingly providing John with an eyewitness report that he is doing the very things promised in the Old Testament and prophesied there as being signs of the arrival of the Messiah's rule. 
But I think the point is this, that the, the program for the Messianic age, the age that would unfold when Messiah came, given in the Old Testament, it involved both blessing and judgment. Uh, and so Jesus gives John the evidence that he is fulfilling one part of the program so that he may be assured that he will fulfill the other part of the program, but later. But if Jesus is displaying the power to deliver the Messianic blessing, then John can also be sure that he is the Messianic judge. And the day is coming when he will bring all men to account, including wicked kings like Herod. Uh, and of course we need to understand that just as much as John you see we may long for the fullness of the messianic age in fact it would be very strange not to long do you long for the fullness of the messianic age? I do it would be very strange not to long for it to long for a world when all, where all wrongs are put right and where we don't suffer loss and sorrow and pain and anguish and grief. But we must realise that in longing for such a world we are calling on Jesus to come in judgement and to bring this sin-sick world to an end. Uh, And he will surely do that. But of course here's the issue. How will you stand on that judgement day? Who can stand the day of his coming, said the prophets. Well, of course, the good news is that one who has faith in Jesus can stand that day. The good news is that God has first sent Jesus into our world to be our saviour. And salvation comes by grace through faith. As we hear the gospel message and we put our trust in the Lord Jesus. And so, of course, it is that that coming day of judgment is delayed so the gospel can be preached and people can hear of Jesus and they can put their faith in him and they can be saved. And so the miracles that Jesus performed then are the signposts to the coming age. Signposts to the messianic age to come. But the fullness of that messianic age is not yet. But meanwhile... As we wait, as we continue to live in what is a sin-sick world, meanwhile, as we wait, we mustn't doubt Jesus' power to deliver one day a world that is free from sin and suffering and death, just because it hasn't happened yet. Instead, we need to rest our faith on the evidence that he gave John. You see, our position is like that of John, isn't it? Like John, we cannot see for ourselves the things that Jesus did, but we can hear the testimony of those who did see those things and hear those things as we read the Gospels. Just like John, we receive the testimony that we might know for certain that Jesus is the one who is to come, or was to come, and we're not to look for anyone else. We are given the same evidence, the same assurance, that he really is the one. 
And so when we doubt Jesus, we have to go back to our Bibles and just remind ourselves that he really is the one who did all those things and then died and rose again. And and so Jesus finishes his message to John by saying in verse 23, Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Or you could translate it, blessed is the one who doesn't stumble over me. See, that's the, that's the great danger, that Jesus himself becomes a stumbling block to us. That we fall away because he's not doing what we expect him to do, or because his timetable is not our timetable. But we need to rest assured that Jesus really is the one that God promised. And one day he will far exceed our expectations. And he will deliver a blessing that is beyond our wildest dreams. And the miracles that he performed then are the guarantee of the blessings to come. We need to be patient and keep our faith in him. So don't be tripped up by disappointment with Jesus. The the second barrier to faith is the problem of being blind to who Jesus really is. You see, as John's messengers go off on their way back to John, Jesus starts to ask the crowd questions about John. And and these are questions designed to get them thinking. To get them thinking about the significance of John's ministry. And so Jesus says to them, what did you go out to see? So, I mean, John had sort of conducted his ministry in a most inconvenient location out in the wilderness, out in the desert. It was an effort to go there, but they went. They flocked there, great crowds going to John. So, Jesus, what did you go out to see? Was it a reed swayed by the wind? In other words, did you go to see someone pushed around by the wind of popular opinion? A a preacher who preached in accordance with the spirit of the age? Of course not. You can find that sort of preacher anywhere. Just ask Google. Well, well, I'm adding that bit. Jesus didn't say the bit about Google, but you know. So what did you go out to see? A preacher in fine clothes? A man dressed to impress? Of course not. You don't find such men in the desert. People like that live in palaces. So what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes. You went because you were hungry for a word from God. And in John's message, you heard an authentic word from God. And you recognised the authentic voice of God. You recognised that John was a prophet. More than that, you recognised that he was the prophet. See verse 27, This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. This was John the messenger, the prophet God had promised. Indeed, more than a prophet, because whilst every other prophet pointed forward to the coming Messiah, John announced his arrival. But let's just follow the logic. If that is the case, then what does that tell you about Jesus? If John is the Messiah's herald, his announcer, his forerunner, then who is Jesus? 
You, you see, the danger then was that people would be wowed by Jesus as a miracle worker, but fail to recognize his true identity. But if John is more than a prophet, then Jesus is more than a miracle worker. Maybe you're, you, you, you sit in church on an evening like this, and, and yes, you're, you're ready to accept that Jesus did perform the miracles that Luke describes. And yet you still fail to see who Jesus really is. You, you still don't quite get it that, that Jesus is God's king. And you don't quite get the staggering significance of Jesus being God's king. Well, if that's the case, then look at what Jesus says in verse 28. He says, I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. So John was great. No one greater. Go through all the great figures of history and you won't find anyone greater because John was the greatest of God's prophets. But Jesus says, if you compare the privilege of being a great prophet, even the greatest of God's prophets with the privilege of being in God's kingdom, then being in the kingdom wins hands down. There is nothing more important than being in the kingdom of God. To be in the kingdom is to know God. It is to know forgiveness. It is to have eternal life. It is to know that you will be raised to live with the Lord Jesus in the new heavens and the new earth, crowned with everlasting joy. Whilst to be outside the kingdom is to remain under God's judgment, which will one day mean being excluded from the presence of God and, and sent to what Jesus labels as hell. But the only way to enter the kingdom is to recognise the king and to submit to his rule, hence the vital importance of recognising Jesus for who he is. And so Luke gives us the evidence. The evidence is there for us to see. But the question is, will we follow the evidence? Will we recognise Jesus for who he truly is and then act upon that recognition? Don't be blind to who Jesus really is. That's the second barrier to faith. And then the final barrier is perhaps the worst of all. It is the problem of being impossible to please. So you look at verse 29. Luke tells us, he comments that when all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptised with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers, those are the teachers of the law of God, the religious lawyers, they rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptised by him. See, Luke's point is that those who had accepted their need to be baptised by John had done so as a sign of repentance. To be baptised by John was to, to confess that you were a sinner in need of forgiveness. 
You are ready to go into those waters of baptism saying, I am a sinner and I need my sins to be washed away. It's a, a most humbling thing. Those who accepted John's preaching and, and allowed themselves to be baptised by John, well, they, they, they were simply acknowledging that they were in the wrong and God's way was right and they welcomed the free offer of forgiveness. And so it was that they were ready to accept what Jesus had to say about John. But here's the shocker. The religious people, the Pharisees, the religious teachers, they were too proud and they were too self-righteous to submit to John's baptism. Uh, and they rejected God's purpose in sending John and so they refused to listen to Jesus. Those who accepted John accepted Jesus. Those who refused John refused Jesus. And it's these people that are the target of his words in verses 31 to 35. So, so Jesus says, to what then shall I compare the people of this generation and what are they like? I'm searching for illustration. What shall I say? Well, they are like children in the marketplace playing games. Now, have you, have you watched children playing their games in the school playground? They, they, they imitate adult life. They, they play mummies and daddies. They play doctors and nurses and, and so on. You know, I still remember, you know, around seven, eight years old, having to go to the opticians for the first time. And as soon as I got home from the opticians, I wanted to play opticians. And I wanted to, you know, the things that you, you know, have to look to in the opticians, I wanted to, to manufacture those, I think probably out of toilet roll hold, um, in, in, the, in as, what do you call those things? The, you know, the cardboard tubes in the toilet roll. Put two of those together with set of shape, you know, and then my teddies were in the opticians. That's what children do. Children imitate adult life. Uh, and so Jesus says, well, two, let's think of two common games, weddings and funerals. And when they play weddings, well, everyone dances to the music. And when they play funerals, everyone weeps and wails, as was the custom in that culture. And so Jesus says, well, what are you like? You are like children who won't play either game. John came to you with a message of mourning. Mourn over your sins and your broken relationship with God. It was like playing funerals. And in keeping with his message, John abstained from a lot of eating and drinking, but you rejected John as a demon-possessed madman. And now the Son of Man, Jesus, he comes and he eats with everyone, not because his message is different, but because his emphasis is different. So John called the people to mourn over their sins and offered them free forgiveness, sorry, um, to, to, to mourn over their sins. And, and Jesus came to those who were mourning over their sins and offered free forgiveness, a joyful message. And it was like a wedding because the bridegroom had come. And how do you respond to me, says Jesus? You say, I'm a glutton and a drunkard. In other words, you are impossible to please. You are like spoiled children who won't play any game except the game of sitting in judgment and finding fault. And our generation is no different. So if you call for repentance, then you are being judgmental. 
uh, and your message is a personal attack on my sense of self. It's an attack on my freedom and, and my right to express who I am through my choices and, uh, and your message is dangerous and it's destructive to my self-esteem. Uh, and so you preach a message that emphasises the love of God and the free forgiveness that's offered to all those who will come to Christ. But your message is still offensive because talk of forgiveness implies guilt uh, and everyone knows that guilt is bad for mental health. And anyway, if your God really exists, he's not loving but hateful to allow so much suffering. So here's the warning. Follow our own generation and we too will be impossible to please. Just like self-righteous first century Pharisees and an over-inflated view of self will drive us to reject the gospel however it is presented. Whether you emphasise mourning over sin or, or rejoicing over forgiveness. And yet, says Jesus in verse 35, wisdom is proved right by all her children. In other words, the wisdom of God's way is demonstrated by those who accept God's purpose in sending Jesus to save us from our sins. Like I trust a great many here this evening who who discover the, the true freedom of knowing their sins forgiven and the true freedom of living in obedience to Christ. Uh, and so as I finish, let me just ask you, where are you in this story? Are you with John wrestling with the problem of disappointment with Jesus? Hang on in there. He won't disappoint in the end. The guarantees are there that one day Jesus will deliver all the blessing that you long for. Or are you perhaps in the, in the crowd? Slow to see who Jesus really is. And think it through, if he, if he isn't God's promised king, then who on earth is he? And if he is God's king, hadn't you better submit to his rule and enter his kingdom? Or are you in the worst place of all, with the Pharisees, impossible to please? Too proud to accept the truth that you need to repent and accept forgiveness from Christ. Uh, and listening to Jesus, will you think again and, and, and follow the example of, of even the tax collectors who when they heard Jesus' words acknowledged that God's way was right. Let's pray. So perhaps just in the quietness just think where is your faith this evening where are you in the story what response do you need to make in your heart to the word you've heard this evening
Father, we thank you that Jesus really is the one. And there's no need for us to look for anyone else. Thank you that he is the one you promised to send. He is the one heralded by John. He is the one authenticated to us as the true Messiah. He is the one who died and rose again. He is the one who ascended to be exalted at your right hand. He is the one who will return in glory to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him and to judge the living and the dead. Thank you that there is no one else that we need to look for. No one else who has the words of eternal life. No one else who can save us from our sins. And Father, we thank you that that salvation, forgiveness of sin, new life, is a free gift in the Gospel. Received simply by faith as we trust for ourselves in the Lord Jesus. And so, Father, generate that faith in us that we might believe upon him for our own salvation and keep us trusting, keep us believing. Carry us through those dark nights of doubt when we face disappointment with Jesus and bring us afresh to the morning when we see again who Jesus is and keep us from being like those who are impossible to please. Deliver us from that mindset, we pray. And help us to receive the word that you have given us concerning your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And help us this very evening to trust in him, to put our hope in him, and to rejoice in him and follow him. We ask in his name. Amen. So let's uh, express our understanding of who the Lord Jesus is our confidence in him, our joy in him, as uh, we sing together, Jesus, the name high over all.
but through faith in Christ we enter into a sure and certain experience of the love of Christ and the grace of God and the fellowship of his spirit. Uh, so let's close our service out by saying the words of the grace to one another. And now may the grace of God I'm blanking on the words, you help me out. <laughs> the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen.